You have clicked and scrolled and, and surfed your way to Behind the Buzz, a public fit theater company's occasional podcast where we chat about the myriad details that make up the creative process in our season of plays and stage readings. This is episode number two of season number four, and today we'll be talking about the opening production of our 10th season, Paula Vogel's Indecent. Of course, we started off uh, the season in fine form out at the library a few weeks ago with a stage reading of The Lifespan of a Fact by Jeremy Carrick and David Morrell and Gordon Farrell, but Indecent will be our first fully realized production of this, our 10th year. Joining me today, as ever, is APS Artistic Director, Anne-Marie Preth. Hi, Joe. And we're going, <laughs> and we're going to be talking about a lot of uh, new uh, today. In fact, joining us in a few minutes is a new addition to our ranks, serving in a new role. Uh, Leia Flowers serves as dramaturg for this production. We'll talk about uh, just what that is and why it's so important for this play to have one. Um, but first, uh, and people are telling us that we're, we're doing a musical and that would certainly be new for APF is, uh, indecent, a musical. I didn't think it was a musical when we started the rehearsal process, but I have to say now that I've gone through the process, yes, this is a musical. It's not a typical musical because, uh, there is a lot of spoken text, um, but in between the scenes, the connective tissue of the show, there there are many songs that are sung and many dances that are danced. <laughs> well, and, and the show itself, a lot of the uh, uh, the scenes are actually underscored with music as well to sort of bring home that, that emotional punch. Right, but having grown up, uh, I've done a ton of musicals. That's uh, where I got my start in theater. When you're rehearsing for a musical, if you don't have the musicians with you, which you don't typically do until right before the show opens, you have um, recorded tracks that you can rehearse to, where in this case, the music is so interweaved through the show that, that it's hard to have those tracks. You have to really have those musicians in the room with you in order to tell the story. So it's a, it's a difficult show to produce and direct. Are you finding it too difficult? Is it time to quit? Did you? <laughs> um, it's not time to quit, but I, we've had some hard days. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like we're over the hump, and I can thankfully say that we're over the hump. But it, this is probably the most difficult show or production I have ever worked on. Yeah. Well, it, it's, um, it's offered a lot of challenges, and I think we've identified a lot of those challenges pretty early on. Mm -hmm. It was just the sort of you know, seeing to, to how, how to overcome those challenges um, took a little bit of time. What was it about the play that originally, well, all those challenges, you know, present themselves fairly early. Um, we saw them all early. What was it about the play then that, that uh, made you select it, to slide it into the season? Uh, personally or as an artistic director? I think both. I mean, uh, I, I don't, can, do you really separate the two? I think Yes. As an artistic director, oh, really? <laughs> I think as an artistic director, your personal... Well, personally, uh, as, a, as a director and not as an artistic director, uh, I like to choose projects that are hard yeah. and that are not like the last project that I've done yeah. and then have a level of artistry uh, that, that will inspire and challenge me. I also, um, because I am a, a dancer, and uh, I like uh, productions that have heightened movement, whether it's through song or dance, or the acting is, uh, the choices with the acting is heightened yeah. uh, through movement. Uh, and so uh, as a theater director, um, that's what appealed to me about the show. Uh, as an artistic director, uh, Paula Vogel is an is amazing playwright. A Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. Yes, this um, this show won many Tonys. Yeah. Uh, and one for directing. And yeah. yes, you you need you need to have some directing chops in order to work on this show. Uh, and it was our tenth anniversary, and it's episodic. There's a lot of humor in this show. There's a lot of opportunity for artistry. Um, 
it examines a particular culture uh, that I wanted to invest in because of my own uh, Jewish roots. Uh, and so I thought it was a good show uh, for our season just because of um, the way the story is told. What's it about? Oh, well, it's about a lot of things. Yeah. I'm not going to give you a synopsis. So. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just start by Why saying... Why don't you, you well, do Well, I'll the start. Synopsis. It's based upon... I, I can't even say based upon mm-hmm. a true story. It, it examines an historical event, and I think Leah will be able to really help suss this out when we really talk about it. But it really it discusses a, a, another a first, you know, a sort of a first musical for us, but a first for... Uh, Broadway, this was, it, it, it focuses on a play that in the 1920s became the very first play to portray two women on stage and actually have an onstage kiss, a romantic kiss between two women. It was the first one to do that. And it was immediately shut down after that and, uh, and, and banned, hence the title, Indecent. It was banned for, for yeah, Indecent. Yeah, I like that the play is actually, it's a play within a play, right? right? So what Paul- the, the, and, and Indecent is the story of that play. That play is, is not called Indecent. The play within the play it's called is God called of, God, God of, of Vengeance. Vengeance. And it's 100 years, the play was shut down 100 years ago, which I didn't do that intentionally, but yeah. I think that that's, um, there's some serendipity there. Uh, but I like that it's based on a true story. I like that it examines... Uh, a lot of different themes like the Holocaust, immigration, censorship. It looks at love between two women and it doesn't look at it in uh, in a sensual way, but more based on a, uh, from a perspective. I of think you misspoke. I think you meant sexual way because I think it's a very sensual. The, the, those yes, that, you're right. Yeah. It is sensual, but yeah. it's not. I, I think anytime anybody says the word lesbians, Everybody's like, "Ooh, lesbians!" And everybody purient. gets, yeah. yeah, everybody gets really titillated. And uh, I think what um, the playwright God of Vengeance was trying to do was not to do that, right. to actually examine the love and friendship and admiration between two women. Uh, and he he did a beautiful job with God of Vengeance, and Paula Vogel recognized that. And she wanted to build upon that, especially because the play basically went out of existence because uh, of it being banned in the 1920s because of those uh, obscenity trials. And they were, all yeah. the actors were convicted for indecent behavior. Yeah. So um, she took that play out of the darkness and brought it into the light. And, and then now, 100 years later, we get the opportunity to be able to look at the play and look at it through the lens of our own culture, which I think is um, necessary and actually kind of sad because of what's happening right now in Israel. Yeah, so, so Indecent is a play about a play um, about uh, myriad things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, <laughs> it sounds like the perfect sort of vehicle uh, where you would need a dramaturg oh God. to come in and lay out some yes. of the... Yeah, well, let, let, let's, let's, let's bring Leia into the conversation. She can tell us exactly what dramaturgy is, yeah. <laughs> what a dramaturg is. We needed is, her to tell us what it was. And why it was so necessary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very helpful. So let me introduce Leia Flowers, who started her foray into theater at six years old when a production of Cinderella changed her life. She attended Las Vegas's Arts Magnet School, Las Vegas Academy, where she did some stage managing, some props, mastering, <laughs> various other behind-the-scenes gigs. And then she started writing, serving as the student arts critic for high school productions all around the valley. She worked on short films as a performer, writer, director, and editor for the students in the UNLV Film Department, and even spent a little time on stage for Nevada Conservatory theater in their production of The Taming of the Shrew. And then she took a break from the stage for a while to travel the world with her husband. Uh, but then the pandemic reminded her of the importance of the arts, and she returned to UNLV, where she will graduate in December with a BA in theater studies. And then she plans to pursue a graduate degree in dramaturgy and hopes to eventually find work in European theater. Uh, dramaturgy We've spoken a little bit about that. Hey, Leah. Hello. What is dramaturgy? I, 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 I'm still not 100% sure I know exactly what it is. Uh, so what a, a dramatur- what production dramaturg does is uh, does research to provide historical and social context for a play. 
and they assist the designers, actors, directors, anybody associated uh, in understanding, you know, the, the historical significance. Uh, basically, we're just giving context. Okay, so you serve as a resource for the the crew and the production team and the, the cast. Yeah, and, and when I'm in rehearsal, you know, I'm able to give little uh, notes on things that I know that maybe um, people forgot since reading the, you know, dramaturgy packet or just things that weren't included in there that I think are interesting. Like one night I remember talking to Jake about, um, because he plays Lemel, yeah. and I was talking to him about the scene where Lemel is coming in through Ellis Island and the entire process that they go through. And it was fun for me to nerd out anyway <laughs> to talk to him about all of like the physical examinations, all of the questions that they're asked, things like that. The packet that you presented for this production is huge just the, the sheer amount of information that you had to collate how do you uh, how did you um i don't know graduate the the importance of of topics and and choose which was um worthwhile to be looked at and i mean you, you could look at the scope of this play is what it, the very early 1900s all the way up through the 50s yeah mm. um that's a pretty big historical era how did you pick and choose what was important to include in 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 your dramaturgy packet um, that was tough. Yeah, I can <laughs> that imagine. That was tough to do. I did a lot of research and I would start like falling down a rabbit hole. And then I, I would always stop and say, how, it, how will this actually be applied? Because everything I wanted to research and include could be applicable and usable uh, to the actors and designers. So I wanted to make sure that it's not just something that's interesting to me, which sure, I can read about Vilna for hours and be interested in that. But what do the actors need to know? Because there's just like one or two lines about Vilna in the play. Sure. So I just give a little blurb about that kind of thing, you know, and I try to find um, that balance to make sure there's just not too much for people to have to wade through. What makes, uh, <laughs> I just going to sound horrible. What makes you different from Google? Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> I could, I mean, any question that I have about a play or historical time, I could, I could Google it. I can answer that. Uh, Google could take you off in a direction that could waste your time, whereas you have somebody who's focused on on a particular task, and they bring all the information together for you, and that's highly valuable. Well, and also a love and understanding of the play. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm yes. I, I'm, I was only half serious in asking that question. I know the value of a dramaturg for crying out loud, but I, but. It sounds like it's just a lot of collating of information, but you're saying it's much more than that. Also from my observation of Leia as a person is she loves to research, right? Uh, and also her way of synthesizing information and also analyzing the play. She's creating a process uh, for herself and for the actors that's going to be efficient because we only have a limited amount of time in order to incorporate that information into the rehearsal process. Right. Where if actors are having to re research things on top of creating the um, artistry in the production, they, they could get off track and not manage their time. And before before we started today, you and, and Leah were talking about a packet that's been put together mm -hmm. now that we're going to post online for anybody who's interested in accessing some of this uh, research material as well. Is that is that right? Yes, for the audience, because yeah. uh, things uh, happen so quickly for audience members. They may only get uh, a mention of a reference. And so after a show or a production of most plays, people have questions. I, I know when I go to see a play, I often will leave the production and go and research things and she has all that research, a lot of that research that most audience members will ask, and she's going to put that together in a, a packet or a study guide so that they can access that in, in the program or through the website. Where can people find that online? At our website. Is that what you're asking? A publicfit.org? Yes, that's mm -hmm. what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> and, it'll be, and it'll be easy to find. It'll be up there and easy and easy to find. So what else is coming up at A Public Fit for this, our 10th season? Well, we've been talking about Paula Vogel's Indecent. Uh, that show opens October 27th and runs for four weeks to November 20th over at the Super Summer Studio Theater, 4340 South Valley View. 
music and dance and laughter and tears. Get your tickets now at apublicfit.org and so much more. Here's a quick rundown. Uh, after Indecent, it's back to the library in January for a reading of Dominique Mariso's Pipeline. Uh, our second main stage show, we mentioned it a little earlier, X by Alistair McDowell, takes us back to the Super Summer Studio Theater in February and then back to the library in March for Lauren Gunderson's outrageously funny Exit Pursued by a Bear. Our final main stage show will be presented in association with Vegas Theater Company. Dancing at Lunasa by Brian Friel will be presented back downtown at the Art Square Theater in April. And finally, The Pavilion by returning champion Craig Wright will close out our 10th season with a stage reading in June back at the Flamingo Library. If, uh, if that's too much to remember, a quick visit to a publicfit.org should make everything clear. Of course, stay tuned to upcoming episodes of Behind the Buzz for even more information and even more conversations. We'll be talking with performers and directors, designers, and I think we're going to get another playwright or two. <laughs> What's that process like, Leah, putting together a, a, a huge packet for such a, a broad time period? Or are you really constricting yourself to um, what the uh, play demands? Um, well, I let myself kind of roam free and yeah. there's sort of a, like a rough draft process where I'm just like recording everything I think is interesting and going down different pathways that I think are interesting. Um, and I, I got really into listening to a lot of podcasts about it. There's just, there's just so much information and the play is so historically dense and so rich with like cultural references and music, um, that you know I just let myself run with it and then I started to like boil it down and uh put together what I thought was most useful well, and, and you were given a pretty I mean it's a pretty big task because you're not really just researching one play you're researching two plays you had to research yeah. not just indecent and and all of the cultural um aspects of that show you had to go and look at it's it's um um it's twin. Yeah, it's it. it yeah, it, it's it, what's the word I'm looking for? It's inspiration. Right. The, the God of Vengeance. Is it the God of Vengeance or just God it, of Vengeance? It is the God of Vengeance. The God of Vengeance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You 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 leave prepositions off of all your titles. I do. <laughs> you do. It's a problem. We, I, you need I, to see. You need to see uh, preposition meant, therapy. I know. I'm anti preposition. <laughs> well, get on the train, woman. Prepositions I'm, are the future. I'm sorry. Okay. I apologize. Um, yes, pronouns are are a thing of the past. It's now prepositions. <laughs> We're going to have the final about um so the god of vengeance you had to, i'm sorry that was completely off topic lay you had to sort of look at two plays uh mm -hmm. the god of vengeance and and indecent are they on there are they on the same um um footing the same scale the same level in terms of uh quality of theater or, or did you find one more appealing with one have a different emotional impact than the other how do they compare oh gosh um they're both wonderful in their own way, I think. I, I, I don't think they're that similar um, because The God of Vengeance is not episodic. You know, it, it has more of a like a narrative flow to it. Um, and we are only focusing on a, a small number of characters in that, you know. So, right, yeah. So with Indecent, you know, we have seven actors and they're all playing. Everybody but the guy who plays Lemel is playing like six different people or more. Yeah. Um, so... They're they're both really interesting and as and as far as like emotional impact, they both make me cry. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, with with indecent, even just the first time I heard the synopsis, I cried because it Holy just cow. it just seemed like I just the idea. I mean, I don't really want to spoil it, but how the ending comes about, like how it's presented, was just so touching, you yeah. know, to me that I I couldn't help it, and I am a bit of a softy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with the God of Vengeance, I think I was really moved by so many things, but particularly Yekel's journey from being someone who feels like he's just this lowly sinner, and and he's really trying so hard to be a better person and to find like salvation through his daughter and I just I think especially a lot of girls who have complex relationships with their fathers can identify with that and it's it's a high it's a timeless play so you're, you're okay you're talking specifically now about the god of vengeance can mm -hmm. you give me a synopsis of that play we know that so indecent is a play about that play mm -hmm. and we'll talk more about the themes of indecent because there are many there are just yeah. a lot of themes of that play but what is just give me a synopsis of 
of the God of Vengeance. You, you mentioned Yekel and his daughters, and mm-hmm. I want to let the the listeners know exactly what you mean when you talk about Yekel and his relationship to his daughter. Okay, so um, the God of Vengeance is about Yekel, who is a Jewish brothel owner. Uh, his wife Sarah is an ex prostitute, and their daughter Rivkala is like pure, and and they want her to remain pure. They want to marry her off to. Um, a rabbi's son, like they sort of view her as like their salvation. And unfortunately for them, Rivkala falls in love with Manka, who is one of the uh, prostitutes who works for Yekel, and they run away together and end up actually working for uh, Yekel's competitor, Shloima. This play about two women in love was written in 1903, is that right? Uh, I think it's 1906. 1906. Yeah. 1906. Oh, I, I'm thinking 23 because yeah. when it was on Broadway, it was 23. Um, 1923. But it was written in 1903 or 1906. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wrong again. 1906. That seems like a pretty early date to be exploring themes such as the the purity of, of lesbian relationships. Yeah. I think what is interesting about... Uh, the playwright Sholem Ash is that he really wanted to show complex people. He wasn't interested, you know, at the time there was the Yiddish Renaissance that was going on. He was part of that. And they were all sort of, and, and, it, and it is reflected in Indecent too, where they're like, can we just make sure that the Jewish person is an upstanding version of himself on the stage? We, that's what we want to present because there's anti-Semitism in the world. And he pushed really hard against that. And he said, no, we're human. We, we, some of us are pimps and prostitutes. And he wanted to show that. And, and I think that that's what makes this play timeless and relatable now is because he's just dealing with real struggles of people. You know, so, yeah, I, I don't know where he got, you know, that inspiration, but he was just sort of a person that didn't didn't really take direction <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. If someone said, can you not do this? He's like, no, nah, I'm going to do it if I think it's right, because even uh, toward the end of his career, he started writing books where he was trying to see if he could find a balance between or similarities between Christianity and Judaism and to, to sort of say, like, see, we're not that different in his novel. Um, he wrote a series of novels like about Mary and I think there was one about Jesus uh-huh. and uh, yeah the Jewish community really really did not like that and pushed against him and were kind of ostracizing him by the end but he still you know he followed his own drummer he said no this is why I think it's important to talk about these are the stories I want to tell you told me that we need plays in Yiddish which are universal Plays that represent our people as valiant, heroic, virtuous. Why must every Jew on stage be a paragon? You are representing our people as prostitutes. And pimps. some of our people are. You are pouring petrol on the flames of anti-Semitism. This is not the time. When? When will be the right time? Is it true that he wrote exclusively in Yiddish? Or did he... Um, oh, that I can't answer. I know that he wrote mostly in Yiddish, yeah. um, and I'm not sure if he wrote in English at all. That's right. I don't think he ever wrote anything in, in I know English. that he wasn't very good at speaking English. Right. So well, that's, I, that's yeah. actually a part of the play. He complained that he... We should say that Sholemash is a character in mm-hmm. Indecent, obviously, and uh, one of the, I think, key emotional moments in the play is his admission that he does not feel comfortable Mm-hmm. Um, letting people know his poor use of English and his, his poor speaking skills. I mean, because he had a really thick accent from where he was from. And when you when I watched videos of his grandson talking about his accent, he said that it would sort of be the equivalent of like an American, like sort of bumpkin accent, you oh. know, so he was embarrassed by that. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. he did not like to present no. in, in, in public. In fact, at the, tr- at the uh, trial, uh, when his actors um his play and his production his actors were put on trial for indecency in new york he was a no-show as a witness he did not uh, testify uh was there in your research because the the way paula vogel has depicted shalom in indecent is that he's a character with a lot of regret because he allowed his embarrassment of his ability to speak the english language to interfere with protecting the cast. Uh, did you find anything in your research where he uh, struggled with that regret? Because that's what's presented in the play. 
There was nothing I found specifically about that. Um, I don't think I was looking specifically for something like that. I know that he preferred to express himself with writing. You know, I think mm-hmm. maybe he felt like more of a, he was more confident in getting his ideas across in that way. So I think even public speaking would have just, no matter if it was defending them or not, would have felt like something he didn't want to do. Mm, that's interesting. English! Speak English! Every time we are alone together, you persist in speaking Yiddish. My God, Raina, we are supposed to open this show in English next week. I don't need your permission to speak Yiddish when we're in private. Raina, we are the first generation that gets the chance our parents never got to tell our stories on American stages. We are moving uptown to the village, and I want you to go with me. How do you feel? Do you feel that... that, um... You just asked a very specific historical question, Amory. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. Leah, how you how important you feel uh, historical historical accuracy is to a production like Indecent. So uh, I think it's important to an extent. I think we should try to be as true to history as possible. And then there's going to be moments when fudging is necessary. And even Paula Vogel said that. She said that there were certain details where she fudged a little bit on the timeline or something like that. And I don't think it's wrong to do that. I I think if it serves the story and the emotional impact you're, you're trying to have, then it's okay to deviate a little bit. But I would hope that we try to stick with uh, accuracy as much as possible. With all of this history in this play, all of the, the um, you know, firsts, the first uh, kiss between two women on, on Broadway, that I think was the f- sort of first Yiddish play that was presented on Broadway, although it was presented in, 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 uh, in English. Um, wh- what's it about for you, Leah? I've asked Emery what the, the play was about. What is it is it about for you? Is it is it a play about theater? Is it a play about a play? Is it a play about the LGBT community? Is it a play about uh, the pogroms during the the twenties and and thirties? Uh, is it a play about about Jews? Is it a play about the Holocaust? What's it about? It is a play about many things, and I think what people will take away from it is that it's a play about how story is such a powerful tool to unite people yeah you know because if you're not um part of the uh queer community and if you're not um jewish you can still appreciate and and put yourself in the shoes of these characters because i mean one of the things that i thought was most interesting when reading the play and i even ended up writing an essay for the website about it because it was so interesting to me is why would people risk their lives to continue to put on theater when it is specifically banned for them to do so and I think to me that is one of the m- most powerful messages is that storytelling is so important th- to society. It's so important to people to feel connected and to come together to watch it live. That is a specific experience, unlike watching Netflix at home, which is still fun. But when you go to live theater and this play touches on that, when you sit together, it belongs to all of you well there's a specific moment in the play towards the end of the of the production where the play has been banned in america and it's it's sort of come back to europe in its original yiddish and it's been banned in europe for these uh, for jews to perform in public at all so they're still gathering in in um, small places attics and basements and and synagogues to perform these plays and tell these these stories to usually just a handful of people, and that's actually a moment uh, in the play that's 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 um, I think pretty touching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, can I comment uh, about the difference between like Netflix and you know maybe watching movies? So we had a, a particular staff member who came in to rehearsal the other day, and he is not part of the rehearsal process. And so this person was going through, they, they had a rough day. Uh, and so we had our first um, stumble through. And I have to say the first stumble through, there, there was a lot of magic that was happening in the room. And I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. Our intention actually was not to stumble through the whole show. We were only going to stumble through the first two thirds of the show and then work on the last third. But they were so on fire 
that I looked at the stage manager about page 42 and I just said, just let them keep going because they have so much momentum. Caught them by surprise too. Yeah, it caught us all by surprise and it was just lovely. And I didn't look back at him, uh, but I could feel that he was getting emotional. And um, there were things that were fumbly because we're not ready to open. You know, we still Mm -hmm. have two weeks. Uh, And I I talked to this person afterwards and he said, you know, I just needed to come into a space and be inspired and share the struggles with the actors. And even when they were trying to figure things out because certain things weren't polished, uh, there was something just really exciting about watching them work those pieces and then the pieces that were really hitting on all cylinders he was so moved that he was crying. And I think that is what theater does. That's, mm-hmm. um, be, and especially in our theater, people are sitting so close that it almost has like a cinematic feeling because the bodies are so close to you mm-hmm. that you can really feel their expressions mm-hmm. and you can see uh, their the emotion in their eyes, even if it's really subtle. And, you know, to a certain degree, we're all very empathetic people. And so we have that experience of sharing that empathy or struggle or challenge. And it's important that we have our small communities where we can do that together um, because we need a break from our own struggles in our own lives. And it's nice to focus on an imaginary story that can kind of uplift us. Yeah, I do think that theater can empower people. That is also part of the essay that I wrote, that there are um, instances throughout history where an, an oppressive government outlaws theater for a specific reason, because it does bring people together. And that's what they're trying, you know, if they're trying to oppress you, they don't want you banding together. Dividing. They want to divide yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. So that they can take over your mind. <laughs> one, of the most, one of the most amazing things that I've seen come out of, you know, the, the Russia's invasion of the Ukraine is, is one of our local uh, companies. The Asylum has, has partnered with a theater in Ukraine and they're doing Zoom readings and Zoom productions back mm-hmm. and forth across, you know, the ocean during mm-hmm. this tumultuous time. It would not surprise me if we started seeing some of those same things coming out of Gaza. Yeah, and th- yeah they're doing theater like in these bunkers and underground. Yeah. They're still putting on stories. Yeah. That's uh, that's heartbreaking and remarkable at the same time. But it, like yeah. you say, it speaks to the importance of, of those stories. It speaks to the importance of, of um, not just artistic expression, but um, the sharing of artistic expression, which is a different thing, right? The creation of, of the thing is one thing sharing it with a, a, a community big or small an audience big or small is something else entirely mm-hmm. yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a feeling of communion when you when you can come together and just listen you know to a mm-hmm. story that's that's moving yeah, yeah even lemo breaks bread yeah. in the attic right <laughs> before they put on the story the act of coming to the theater is like a form of breaking bread mm-hmm. with the people with your neighbors Every day, another stack of hate mail arrives. And I read every single letter. Jews, Polacks, take your filth back to your own country, dirty kikes. You pollute our stage. This is what we're up against. Did you get a lot of requests, uh, Leia, from the cast about questions they had specifically about either their character or their culture that they were playing? Or the, There are one, two, three, there are five different languages expressed in this play. There are um, uh, a, a number of songs, some in English, some in Yiddish, some in German. I, it, it's, it's a remarkable uh, melange of, of all sorts of, of cultures and and historical moments did you get any odd requests and odd questions from the cast um not really and i hope that's because i was quite thorough yeah, <laughs> in my packet <laughs> yeah um but i i remember having a fun uh interaction with nick and uh he had asked me what's an equivalent to like wow in yiddish 
And I spent half a day looking into that, which was a delight for me to be able to have an excuse to do some more research. Um, and I found three options for him, and I explained like what each of them meant, and then I left it to him to choose. And oh, that's fun. Yeah, what are they? And now I'm fascinated. Oh gosh, I don't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> oh darn! I'm going to be watching him closely the next rehearsal to find out where. I'm, I'm like, where? What are your three wows? Yeah, yeah. And what moments have you, are you choosing to? I'm going to call out up, your Yiddish wow. I'm going to call him out. Tonight and ask him. <laughs> well, you, know, you, see, you mentioned Nick. Um, he's one of the actors who uh, really took research to heart. I mean, oh, he came yeah. in with videos of Sholomash, and he came in with with uh, an autobiography. He plays at one point in the play. He actually plays Eugene O'Neill, yeah. and he had a you know an eight hundred page autobiography or a biography of, of Eugene O'Neill that he was looking at so he could put create that that character that yeah. is an actor who is really interested in the sort of work oh, that you do yeah he he was the one who told me like I love this so much <laughs> he was <laughs> like I love research as much as you do and you know to be fair he plays a handful of real people so oh, yeah. it, it's really good that he's the one that you chose because I I, I could see through rehearsal how how serious he took that and how he was able to bring little things about each person to the table that i i i didn't even know so that was really cool yeah nick plays sholamash he plays eugene o'neill as i mentioned he plays a yale student at the end who uh is trying to revitalize and um uh, uh reinvigorate um, the Yiddish theater world with a new translation of the play. And I think that's a historical character as well, John Rosen. I think he actually... I didn't find that one. So you'd probably have to ask Nick because he yeah. probably oh, found it. I'm sure it. he did. If, if, if that person exists, Nick probably called yeah. him and flew across <laughs> oh, the country to and me had coffee that, with him. To me, that's uh, the director, Rebecca, and just be, uh, because of the context and the year that it was written, um, Paula changed it to a male. But that's Rebecca Teichman. You think? Yeah, because she went to Yale. Yeah, and she was researching uh, uh, the obscenities trials, and she went to Paula Vogel and said, I, I want to turn this into a play. Uh, that, that's a, 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 a composite character of her and, and maybe somebody else, but that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, I think you're probably right. As I was sipping my melange at the Cafe Kreisler, a young Polish countryman approached me with such fresh energy and sincerity, traits that have almost perished in our cosmopolitan Berlin. That very night, I went home with his script, and I woke up with a fever to produce the god of vengeance, to play this outcast, rejected by pious Jews, roaring at his maker. Ladies, gentlemen, I give you the playwright of this brilliant little play, Mr. Sholomash. Thank you. Thank you. Get stumped by any questions, Leah? Did anybody did anybody stump you with one? I guess if you I guess if you can come up with a Yiddish wow, you're uh, <laughs> you're pretty unstumpable. Yeah, nobody stumped me <laughs> on anything, and uh, I'd be kind of sad if they did. <laughs> Fair enough. It, your 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 it says in your I said in your intro that you're looking to um, pursue uh, an advanced degree. In dramaturgy. Is that because of us or was that something you were interested in before you came to work with us? I will be honest that taking Anne-Marie's class really made me feel like I could do it. I, I think it was something that was always kind of in the back of my mind that I would like to do. And then as I was sitting there and we were just sort of discussing what a semicolon means in wit. I was just like, I love this so much. <laughs> <laughs> just... For anyone who wants to listen to a two and a half, three hour podcast about what a semicolon means, uh, you should refer one of our refer to one of our earlier podcasts about uh, punctuation in wit. <laughs> one of our earlier. It also comes attempts. up in my class. Yeah, uh, yeah, so. yeah. And and it was just so. It was like food for the soul for me. It was just so. Mm-hmm. Delicious. And, you know, I, I remember uh, someone who's become my friend now. She was in the class with me, Sabrina. Um, we would just talk about that kind of thing. And we were like, this is just so good. It's just <laughs> like soul food, you know. And, and I thought, like, yes, I would really love to go on and, and do this if there's a world where that's possible. What know? would that – and forgive my ignorance, but what would that entail? What would – achieving a graduate degree in, in dramaturgy entail? Would it just be doing it, or would you be given a, a toolbox to, to use of things that you haven't already sort of acquired yourself? 
I do hope that I would get uh, a much broader toolbox than I already have, you know, because I do like research. I have, uh, you know, some knowledge of theater. I like history, so I listen to theater history podcasts all the time. Oh, wow. And I've got a big, you know, theater history book that I'm making my way through. So I, I, I do hope that aside from just those contexts, they will give me you know, further ways of being able to interpret theater because part of the job of a dramaturg in some cases is to be the bridge between the audience and, and the production company to help right. the audience interpret what they're seeing, you know. so I, I, I could totally see you teaching uh, theater history one, two, and three <laughs> at a college and also assisting many directors on many, many projects. You could just live in a research bath. <laughs> <laughs> My dream come true, you know? I, I know. I, I could <laughs> completely see you doing that. Well, you'll be back with us for our next main stage show. Yes. Um, Alistair McDowell's X. Mm -hmm. you, have you, you've already started the research on that one? I have, and it's delicious, too. Oh, yeah, but and but pretty much the same, right? It's a. It's just it's like a, our it's show. A, yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah. a Jewish musical that place, takes place on Pluto. Is that, is right. that right? Very far removed. It is a sci-fi horror, and it is uh, set on a research base on Pluto. And when, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Because it's not <laughs> history-based. Right, well, that, and that was going to be my question, you because know? that might be a naive question, too, is here you've got an entire culture to explore, mm. the, the Jewish culture, the yeah. Yiddish language, mm -hmm. the culture of, of theater in, in the ghettos of, of Poland in mm -hmm. you know, the 1900s, early 1900s, um, the early shows on Broadway, blah, 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 blah. And now you're in the future on Pluto. What, what do you research for that. So again, I'm trying to keep it applicable. So I looked up um, because the play has some sound elements. So I looked up specifically because uh, one of the characters says, I like to listen to the sounds of Pluto and another character says, but there is no sound. And like, I know, but I like the nothingness. And I actually was like, well, I wonder, do we, do we know what it sounds like on Pluto? And so I started doing some research and we, we don't know what it sounds like on Pluto, but we have sound from Mars and it is just sort of like a windy sound like the, that's what it is I it's just wind. saw that video yeah on, there's, on, there's yeah. a new video that was just released like today yeah um, but and then when I thought about it I looked up um, the atmospheric pressure of Pluto and it is thinner than Mars so it would be like an even fainter wind um, potentially and I, what was also interesting was um, in the play she also talks about watching the mists on Pluto and I thought well does Pluto have mist I don't even know <laughs> so I looked it up and actually yes whenever the seasons change there is ice on one pole and then it kind of melts into a mist and it makes its way down to the other pole when the season changes. So, That's remarkable. Yeah, it's, it's, wow. It's super fun. I wouldn't even know where to research for the fact that you were curious in that way. Well, NASA's a great resource, so I just go to their website, and, you know, they have a lot of sound recordings, mostly sonifications, though. Yeah, but I wouldn't have thought about... I, I haven't read the play with the level of depth that, mm. that you and Jake have, but I wouldn't have thought to go that avenue. That, mm. that, that's a credit to your ability to think in a certain way, so good for you. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I and I do think that that's what uh, the the important function of a dramaturg is is to be able to think how is this applicable to theater specifically mm -hmm. to to come at it with a theater mind but also a research mind. Yeah. Right, because you're not writing a paper. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you are creating a study guide and you mm -hmm. are creating a packet for the actors, but we're taking that information and we're and giving it legs and bodies and. Mm -hmm. And it's, it becomes a sculpture, a living sculpture that moves around, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I was just thinking about a living sculpture that moves around. I think that's a pretty great um, uh, descriptor of, 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 of theater. And I'm, I, I was marveling at your, um, at Leia, at your ability to, to find something about a sci-fi sci play that could involve you as a dramaturg. That seems like like pretty good. Uh, uh, job security there. Well, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> in figuring, in figuring out what's next after that. Uh, oh, then I'm also doing Dancing at Lunasa, and I haven't started reading that yet, but I did well, that's, meet that's up. Some, you have some time. That's in yeah, 2024. Yeah, I, I know we got time on that one, but um, when, I was, when I had seen Lifespan of a Fact, I was talking to one of the actors who has already been cast in Lunasa, yeah. and she was saying that she's going to go back to her... Um, 
she has family in Ireland in the specific town where Lunasa takes place. And oh, wow. she, we were talking and she said she'll do a recording of them just talking just as they do. And that will help with some of the dialect work. And, you know, she said, let me know if you have any other research questions because oh, I'll look fantastic. it up while I'm there. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we've employed you for the season. Yeah. <laughs> what, Emma, you want to talk about that? What made you decide that, that this was the year we were going to get serious about dramaturgy and, and uh, really step up our, our dramaturg game? Leia? Yeah. <laughs> it was Leia that inspired me. You know, we tried to do it before. Uh, With varying degrees of success. not, not Yes. Uh, certainly not as intensive as what's happening now. Right, but in order to be a really successful dramaturg, you have to be dedicated to the mission, and you ha actually have to have a love for that work it, uh, because it's time-intensive. There's a writing component to it. You also have to have the ability to communicate well with others. There needs to be an openness to you. And I saw that in her in the classroom setting. And she was hungry for the, uh, for the project. And I thought, well, this is the time. It was because I met her because she was a special individual. And I, I knew that she could do it. Well, and I think it was a, a remarkably sage decision, especially on... Indecent. I don't know anyone in the cast who isn't ridiculously appreciative. Of oh my God! Even the glossary is like, oh, thank God, somebody, well, looked, talk about somebody that. looked up all these words, and and then she did these links too, where you like hit the link, and then you get the pronunciation. So <laughs> now I have to just look at one document in order to get the pronunciation for so many of these words. Leah, tell me about the, the glossary. What is the, what's the glossary? So uh, usually in a dramaturgy packet, you do want to include a list of like unfamiliar terms um, and, you know, a little bit of research behind them just so that people know what it is so they can, you know, when they're saying those words, they know what it means. And uh, I had a lot of fun looking up things for this. There was the extra challenge that Yiddish is not that easy yeah. <laughs> to, to access. And I, I ended up finding this... Um, Yiddish English lexicon website and that was where I got most of it from but yeah. sometimes honestly one of my sources was a Facebook page oh wow yeah where this woman was talking about she had asked her father because he was fluent in Yiddish like what certain words meant and then she had a list and so I stole some of those oh wow <laughs> do they... need to give her program credit is there <laughs> any chance of a lawsuit I, oh, I doubt it you know but uh, yeah that it was it was interesting it was an interesting challenge because it wasn't straightforward there, yeah. there isn't just like a Spanish to English version of that sure. type of thing. Sure. Mm -hmm. Huh. What's the weirdest, uh, weirdest, maybe that's the wrong word, oddest, strangest, most unique um, term in the in the glossary for you? Mm, I know what mine is. Yeah, I think actually I'm going to say schwell because uh, it took... Schwell. Yes, that means threshold. And it took some research to get to that one because I would look for it and it'd be like, are you trying to say shovel? And I'm like, no, <laughs> you yeah. know, and so it took a little bit to actually find the correct word for it. But I also think it's such a meaningful word in the play. I was going to say, it sounds like it could just be a throwaway, mm -hmm. shvel, but it's used three times in the play yeah. in very, very carefully selected mm -hmm. moments. And well, I, I don't know if you need to talk about them. Do you want to talk about the moments, Emery, or you want to? Well, uh... The there's the word dibic, right? Which mm -hmm. means that that could be like a lost soul mm -hmm. or um, or a negative um, force that we can't see. But we're mm -hmm. talking about Schwell. Yes, but it has to do with uh, Schwell. And so um, Lemel uh, doesn't want to step over the threshold or the Schwell because Schwell in the Jewish culture, they would put like icons or even other uh, like Middle Eastern cultures, they would put artifacts um, underneath their Schwell or around their Schwell to keep out the evil spirits. Mm -hmm. And in a moment in the, in the, the story, Lemuel thinks that he's one of those evil spirits mm -hmm. and he doesn't want to corrupt Shalom Osh's home. And so Shvel becomes very, very important. And it gets mentioned several times. And I, I think Paula Vogel used that expression very decisively mm -hmm. in the text. Now, 
also it gets brought up again at the very end of the play when um, the older version of Ash is confronted with that idea again. So uh, it's an important word. Mrs. Maja, we do not want to disturb your husband. Mamo, I didn't expect... Are you all right? I've been better. The world spins on. How long have you been here? I wanted to see what the sunrise was like from Staten Island. Come in, Lamo. Come in, I'm putting on the coffee. No, thank you. I uh, do not want to step over your spell. And I also mm-hmm. like the kind of more whimsical word for stickina. <laughs> oh, was that, was that, was that, that going to be your choice? Because you said you know what yours was. Yeah, I just like I just like saying it for stickina, for stickina. What's it mean? Uh, it's something that stinks. Yeah, that like stinks. It's like slangy to me. Yeah. Like um, I'm gonna use like, you know, like the way we would use like shit in yeah. in our culture. You know, it's like you know, it's shitty. Ah, uh, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> yeah, got it. So far, it's, it's in the glossary, I assume. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I love it. I just love it. And I, I, on one of our first rehearsals, I just kept pressing <laughs> the sound button <laughs> over and over and over again because <laughs> it just made me laugh. To hear farstinkina. Yeah, I'm probably saying it wrong. Am I saying it wrong? It's farstinkina. Farstinkina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank goodness I don't have to say it. <laughs> I'm saying it wrong. Okay. Well, that 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 seems as good a place as any to, to pause this conversation. <laughs> I wanna I wanna thank Leah for making the time to be with us uh, this afternoon. She's like we said already busily at work combing the mysterious depths of Alistair McDowell's ex. Um, but these conversations are important, and if you're listening right now, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I hope you do, and I hope you'll take the time to maybe give us a quick review. You know, your feedback ensures that we build on these conversations and give you the precise sort of content that you're uh, interested in. You can also connect with us the old-fashioned way through email uh, by writing us at behind the buzz at apublicfit.org we'd love to hear from you Um, because because otherwise we're just talking to ourselves and as you hear me say after every pod there's so much to talk about Behind the Buzz is a product of a public theater company it is directed by Anne-Marie Preth and me, Joe Coogan and is recorded, mixed, and edited by the perpendicular Diane Walton I just want to add a clause at the end I don't think I have problems with prepositions it's articles well done well done (laughs) it is articles